There's a lot of different theories on who the armorer could be, and while I have a few, I would like to go over one of them in today's video regarding Rook Cast. Now, Rook Cast was a Mandalorian commando, and in today's video, I want to examine the similarities between these two characters, the potential connections between their stories, and the possible implications of this story on the universe of the Mandalorian as a whole. Now, while we don't know who the armorer is, something that caught my attention in episode 3 was when the armorer knew exactly who Bo-Katan was in her helmet and armor when she walked in. Now, Bo-Katan is pretty famous, she was a princess of Mandalore, so no introduction is really needed, I guess. But then how does that explain Paz Vizsla just thinking that she's a regular night owl? But besides that, her horns on her helmet are kind of a big giveaway. No other Mandalorian has this. Why does she have those? The only other Mandos to have worn those horns were the ones loyal to Darth Maul. Now, of course, their horns were much bigger and more dramatic, but could this be a sly little way that she is trying to show her loyalty to her former leader, or perhaps current, in her head? This tells me that perhaps the person who knows who Bo is could be Rook Cast. Now, the armor and Rook Cast share several similarities, such as their Mandalorian heritage, combat prowess, and leadership qualities. Rook Cast served as a commando under the Mandalorian splinter group known as Death Watch, led by Pre Vizsla and later Darth Maul. After Maul's defeat and the disbanding of Death Watch, Rook Cast's whereabouts became unknown. The armor and Rook Cast, I feel, share some shared experiences, common goals, and the desire to preserve Mandalorian culture and traditions. Both were quite extremists, so it makes sense that she would just go a little crazy in the end, even more so. Now, we saw Rook Cast originally for the first time in Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir. This is a four-issue comic series that follows the story of Darth Maul after his capture by Darth Sidious during the events of Clone Wars Season 5, or just after it. Now, in the comic, I'm going to give you a quick rundown. Rook Cast plays the essential role as a loyal Mandalorian warrior and member of the Death Watch faction, which is part of Maul's Shadow Collective. The comic starts with her rescuing Maul, imprisoned by Darth Sidious. Rook Cast, along with fellow Mandalorian Gar Saxon, executes a daring rescue mission to free Maul from his Separatist captors. As part of this mission, Rook Cast employs her combat skills and Mandalorian jetpack to infiltrate the prison and successfully extract Maul. Now, throughout the whole comic series, which is a great read, Rook Cast serves as a loyal and capable warrior in Maul's Shadow Collective. We also saw this when the armorer kicked the crap out of the stormtroopers in Season 1 using just a hammer. She fought in many different battles and missions against Separatists, Galactic Republic, and the Sith, proving her full dedication to Maul. She also played a very big role in the defense of the Shadow Collective base on Zanbar, which comes under the attack by General Grievous and the Separatist forces. Cast fights alongside Maul and other Mandalorians against these invaders. Then she was involved in the Battle of Ord Mantell, where Maul's forces clash with Separatist armies led by Count Dooku. During the battle, Rook Cast assists in the capture of Dooku, bringing him to Maul as a prisoner. Towards the end of the comic series, Rook Cast and her fellow Mandalorians find themselves facing overwhelming odds as they battle the combined forces of the Sith, the Jedi, and the Republic. In a desperate bid to save Maul from capture, Rook Cast distracts the enemy forces, allowing Maul to escape and regroup with the remaining forces of the Shadow Collective. Now, in Clone Wars Season 7, Rook Cast led the onslaught against the clones and Ahsoka at Maul's orders on Mandalore. She was responsible for doing all of Maul's bidding alongside 
Hagar Saxon, and essentially turned on many of her people to be loyal to Maul, who wasn't really having Mandalore's best interests in mind, rather just his own. In the end, as we saw in Season 7, Ahsoka fought Maul, and Bo-Katan arrived with her Night Owls and Mandos to fight the opposing forces, and Bo-Katan and Rook Cass got into a fist fight, in which of course Bo-Katan won, beating Rook. Now, Rook Cast did show her face in Clone Wars at the end, so my theory is that she adopted this new way to keep herself hidden. She forces the law of keeping one's helmet on forever as a way of hiding her true identity. She is a literal traitor to her people in their eyes, in the eyes of many Mandalorians who fought against her and Maul, including Bo-Katan when Pre Vizsla died in trial by combat. It's not out of the ordinary to think that Rook Cast, who was already quite the insane extremist, would go on to be even more radical with her way. Death Watch was a faction of Mandalorians who believed in the old ways of violence and extremism for Mandalorians. Seeing Mandalore become as destroyed as it did could have made her go off the deep end, maybe even more so than she already was, and become the Armorer, keeping her horns on her helmet as loyalty and service to Darth Maul, whom she was very obedient to. Do you think these horns are paying homage to Maul, or do you think it's part of her alien head? Do you think those horns need to be there and perhaps she is just another species? I think there must be some significance to the character, but if she's a new character then that's pretty cool too, as it just makes the world that much bigger. Let me know what you think about this theory about the armorer being Rook cast, or who you think the armorer could actually be, a new character or someone with great significance. Thanks for watching today's theory video. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll have a few other theory videos on who the armorer could be, as I think those are pretty interesting to talk about as well. See you all in the next episode on Star Wars Theory. Until then, remember, the Force will be with you, always. As we know, Order 66 was the order given by Emperor Palpatine just after the death of Mace Windu, and the transformation of Anakin into Darth Vader. The order was programmed into the clones' heads by way of an inhibitor chip, which controlled their minds to take out the Jedi and serve the Chancellor. The rest of the events that led from this are what we know today. But what if we go into another timeline, an alternate universe, and one that I think makes much more sense in some ways? What if Order 66 failed? Jedi have decades of training, mastering the Force above all else. Their first and foremost abilities were to be able to sense their surroundings and feel any threats, such as when Anakin and Obi-Wan could even feel the Kuhans that attempted to poison Padme. The Jedi not being able to sense the complete 180 turn of the clones, raising their guns at them and firing, would have been enough of a shift in the Force just as Yoda had felt in order for them to escape or to have an advantage to fight back harder. The Jedi Temple events, however, would continue to play out the way they did, as Anakin was too powerful for any Jedi in the temple. He would then go to Mustafar as ordered, while the rest of the clones would continue to take out the Jedi, slowly being killed one by one by more advancing Jedi. Today, let's talk about some Legends characters that are pretty cool. They're very ruthless dark side warriors, and maybe we'll see them in the Ahsoka show. I know they like to take inspiration from old characters and put them in the new stuff, so who knows? Today we're going to talk about the Krath Warriors. These were a faction of Force users that emerged during the time of the Old Republic. The Krath were part of the Sith, who sought to overthrow the Jedi Order and establish their own rule over the galaxy. They were led by the Dark Jedi Alima Kedo and her brother Satal Kedo, who were descendants of the ancient Sith Lord Exar Kun. They were known for their use of dark side magic, and this is why I think that maybe we could see someone like them, or them, in the Ahsoka show, as we're going to divulge more in Sith magic, alchemy, and magic in general in Star Wars. 
Now, their magical abilities particularly focused on the power of illusion and deception and to control and manipulate their enemies, which is very powerful. The Krath warriors gained a significant following and established a stronghold on the planet of Empress Teta, which they renamed as the Krath Holy City. From there, they launched attacks on nearby planets, expanding their territory and power. Their reign of terror was eventually ended by a coalition of Jedi, Republic troops, and local rebels, who mounted a successful assault on the Krath Holy City. Alima and Satal were captured and brought to justice, effectively putting an end to the Krath warriors. Despite their defeat, the legacy of the Krath warriors continued to influence later Sith factions and their use of dark side magic. Now, these Krath warriors first appeared in Tales of the Jedi, the comic book series published by Dark Horse in the mid-1990s. Specifically, they were introduced in the Dark Lords of the Sith storyline, which ran from 94 to 95 and chronicled the rise of the Sith Empire during the Old Republic era. The Dark Lords of the Sith storyline was written by Tom Veitch and Kevin J. Anderson, who I interviewed on the channel, with art by Christian Gossett and Mike Barrero. The storyline introduced a number of new characters and factions to the Star Wars universe, including the Krath Warriors, and was well received by fans and critics. They were known for their distinctive armor, which was designed to enhance their physical abilities and protect them in battle. They wore a helmet that covered their entire face, which added to their fearsome reputation. In addition to their use of dark side magic, the Krath warriors were skilled in hand-to-hand -hand combat. 